Are we in control of our destinies? Does love really conquer all? The Adjustment Bureau's cross-genre high-concept science fiction chick flick somehow manages to answer both questions. Maybe. Are you just watching? Episode 95, The Adjustment Bureau. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Well, you know what? There just wasn't a lot in theaters that caught my eye this month. What about you? Yeah, it was a sort of slow month, but I mean, Avengers Endgame, (laughs) Spider-Man. I was ready for a slow month. Yeah, yeah. Getting back to a DVD was a nice, you know, sort of like a little vacation for us. Yeah, it's nice to get that occasionally. And I'm glad that we were able to have something in the back burner. And this one was actually suggested by my previous co-host, Daniel Lewis. I think he must have like a secret list of movies he'd love to have talked about. And (laughs) this one got pulled up. Hey. Yeah, it works. Send them our way. Yeah. (laughs) This was a good one. I had not seen it before Daniel suggested it. I hadn't seen it either. I was very intrigued. And then, of course, looking it up, I found out it was based on a Philip K. Dick story. That (laughs) Yet another one. (laughs) That sold it for me. I do want to remind everybody that we are currently running a special on our Patreon. If you give a pledge to give $10 a month, uh, you will get a free autographed copy of my new book. Are you just watching? Once again, I'm so great with my titles. It is a guided journal, so it gives you space to do your own reviews and take notes while you're watching movies or TV, and is interspersed with little snippets of things to look for, you know, as you're watching. Sharpen your mind as you're viewing your entertainment. Really, really encourage people to check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash are you just watching. Please consider supporting us. I do want to thank Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, and Peter Chapman for their generous support. Um, all three of them have been giving to us for some time and really appreciate their support. They've been holding this podcast up. Even if you can't give the $10 to get the book, we would appreciate any gift, no matter the size, to keep us staying on the air and giving you these reviews. Yeah, so I really love Philip K. Duck movies. And the interesting thing is, is the movie's for Philip K. Dick, anyway, for the most part, the movies are more interesting than the stories they're based on. I say for the most part because Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was the book that Blade Runner was based on, I actually like right. the book better. But all of the other ones that were based on stories, I've liked the movies better. Yeah. And a little caveat on that, I would say the new Total Recall is better than the first Total Recall. The new Total Recall is definitely... Closer to the source I, I, material. If I, yeah, close. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's where I was going. I feel like the first one was just a delivery vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger to, you know, start sinking his teeth into major media. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. The first movie was a classic in and of itself, but if you were comparing it to the original source material, the second movie followed the source material better, which made it a different movie. It had the same name, but Mm -hmm. it was a different movie. And some of the other ones, of course, were the movie Next, which was based on The Golden Man, which those actually had absolutely nothing in common. Yeah, I don't remember Next. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's about a guy who sees exactly uh, 
21 oh, minutes. Uh, is it 21 minutes into Cage. the future? Yeah, it has Nicolas Nick Cage. Cage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember that one. It's a really good movie, but it bears very little resemblance to the story it's based on. Yeah. I'm looking at the list. They did a paycheck one, too. Is that... I haven't seen that one, so I can't speak to that one. Yeah, Ben Affleck. I, I do remember that one. <laughs> they all seem to all have pretty big names in them when they make them into movies. Yeah. I did just recently watch Minority Report, uh, actually just a couple days ago. I was curious about it mm. after seeing on the list. I'd, and I realized I had seen the end of it before, but I had never seen the whole movie all the way through. And, and ah. the ending made a lot more Spoilers. sense. <laughs> yeah. We may have to do a, a, an episode on Minority Report. There's a lot in there to talk about. Yeah. But we are not talking about Minority Report, even though I just recently watched it, so it's on the top of my head. The Adjustment Bureau of big got big names in it. It's got uh, Matt Damon in it and uh, Emily Blunt and Emily Blunt. Yeah, yeah. And, I just watched her in uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, for the most part, I think that it feels like an old movie, which it is old, but it's not that old. I don't know why it felt so old to me, but. It does have a little bit of a antique movie kind of feel to it. Yeah. It's did it feel old by production value or just because it had the the whole nineteen fifties vibe for the agents? No, I don't think it was the vibe of the agents. I think it was the production value it made it Okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe current movies have a little bit more color in them. I don't know. It just felt Yeah. Washed out or something. Well that you know, I I think that was actually a um Conscious choice mm-hmm. in the production to because yeah the the colors there were almost no uh, really bright colors in the in the entire movie yeah I think it was you know sort of like you remember Schindler's List how uh, the only color in the entire thing was the red coat of the little girl mm-hmm. it I don't think it was anywhere near at that level <laughs> I think the use of muted colors was specific to the movie's production. And I think it lended to a, a sense that reality wasn't quite right, that it was uh, off a little bit the mm-hmm. way that we might see old movies. Yeah. It's just a guess on my part. But yeah. I think you've noticed something that was intentional. Okay. I mean, I could go with that. Maybe it's just because it is an older movie and we're, it stood out as feeling old to me that way. But you could be right. It may have been intentional. Yeah. Well, we should mention that because this is DVD, we're not having a spoiler-free section. Yeah. And it's an old movie, so if you haven't seen it yet, that's on you, not on us. Yeah. <laughs> it's based on a, a short story that was uh, called Adjustment Team mm-hmm. that was written in 1954. And the story was very interesting in its 1954-ness. Yes, and he, he's got an interesting way of writing, and most of his stories, they feel very distant from the characters. It's not like you're in their heads or anything. It's always like a, a very uninterested narrator telling you what's happening in front of you. And yeah. it's a different way of writing. And the story itself is only one tiny, small aspect of the movie. And, and then they built this mm-hmm. whole chick flick around the movie, <laughs> around this <laughs> one tiny little incident that happens in the movie and everything else was added to, I think, make it a little bit more palatable to modern audiences, a little yeah. more interesting. It's, now, see, I don't, I don't consider this one a chick flick, though. I mean, yes, it has a strong romantic element. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, you would even go far as to say the main plot is a romance story. It's a romance. It's a romance set in a science fiction. <laughs> yeah. 
For me, this story was more about how they were resisting the forces working against the <laughs> destiny mm-hmm. of that romance, yeah. not so much about the romance itself. I thought it was the much more interesting part for me was how the adjustment team was dead set against the romance happening and how uh, David, uh, Matt Damon's character, mm-hmm. worked against the um, the forces arrayed against him. Yeah. So I, I Chick Flick, I, I could definitely see where you're coming from. <laughs> I don't think I agree. <laughs> Well, it wasn't a romantic comedy. No, definitely wasn't that. It's not a rom-com, but I really do feel like it it was set up to be a chick flick. And maybe it was just that they were putting in, you know, a a little bit of of the romance and stuff to draw a a wider audience because the high concept science fiction tends to draw more of a male audience and they wanted to the men to be able to take their wives to see it or their girlfriends or whatever. Yeah. You know, just widen the audience a little bit. Philip K. Dick is such a, a such a high concept writer. Mm-hmm. You know his stories, like you said, his stories are not big on character development or developing sympathy with the characters. They're really about the concept that he wants to deliver through the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that they get converted into uh, film so well. Right. Is that the they can just the, take the concept and then build something exactly really cool around it. Build yeah. around it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that that's definitely what they did here. The whole concept from the short story that was sort of built around for this movie, I feel like it was that one scene where David walks in and they're adjusting uh everybody in that conference room. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a scene that the the scriptwriter read and said oh i can start with this yeah but we got to give something for our actors to do yeah uh i do wish they had used the dog yeah well they had to get to that that point I and mean, it's like that one visual that came from the story and then they had to figure out because to be honest if you read the philip k dick story it really doesn't you're kind of like okay why is this so important i don't understand why this is so important yeah. And so they had to make that adjustment of his boss make sense from a, a wider standpoint. And it, they had to make it last a two hour movie. The short story just didn't have enough content in it for a two hour movie. So I think they had to add all that other story in order to make to flesh it out and make it work as a, in, yeah. on the cinema. But, you know, they did a, a decent job with that. And I, I, I appreciate the story. I think that the characters are are ones that you can relate to. And we we can discuss that specifically some of the character traits here in a little bit. But Bef- before we get too far, I do want to mention the music uh, is by mm. a composer we haven't discussed before, Thomas Newman, and the music is pretty much fits the title, the fits the story. It's it's just your your standard instrumental with a kind of a gumshoe feel to it. You know, it fits. I guess mm-hmm. kind of the the idea of a bureau or bureaucracy or a running. Uh, running away from somebody all the time you know it it just had that kind of content to it and we'll play a little bit of it here for you to and then we also want to mention that this even though this is an old movie uh, PluggedIn.com does have a review of it, and it's actually a pretty decent review. So make sure you check out 
their review of the movie. If you haven't seen it yet and you want to rate it for its family friendliness, there is some bad language in it, but it's other than that, it's pretty clean movie. Yeah. There is a sex scene, very quick and not real explicit, but there is one in there. Much more tastefully done than, frankly, a lot of television shows. Yeah, nowadays, definitely. Yeah. So I think that pretty much gets all of that out of the way. The um, characters in this movie, I think when you were taking notes, I saw you comment about the, f- the fact that uh, David is a politician. And so we see him uh, yep. wor- working uh, at the beginning. He is losing his campaign for Senate. And he was he, he was a congressman and he was running for Senate and he lost his election mainly because something <laughs> came out right beforehand that. It yeah. was a stupid thing. It, it was him mooning somebody in his college days. Yeah. Well, we're kind of familiar with that nowadays. It's like anything in your past can now be used against you. There's no such thing as growing up and maturing and becoming a different person and being forgiven for past actions. Yeah. Everything is held against you nowadays. It's just, you know, given the current political environment and some of the things that people have done in the past and not had it impact their prospects Mm -hmm. the idea of a college mooning being the downfall of a 20 point lead to me was it was easily the least believable thing about this science fiction film (laughs) well remember when this movie was made though if it were currently made probably so but when it came out maybe not so much even science fiction can't predict uh the the future (laughs) yeah exactly But I wanted to mention, and I don't know how much of a Twilight Zone person you were. Mm, I've seen them all. You've seen them all. <laughs> the concept of this movie, not necessarily anything really definite about it, but it really made me think of the Twilight Zone episode, the, A Matter of Minutes. I don't know whether you remember that one. It's the one where the, the couple yeah. wakes up. They woke up like in a future and like several minutes in the future and they're building the time around them they have to build every minute oh yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're they're like get caught and they're running from them and there was just something about the way this movie was put together that made me think about that episode and i don't know it's, it's just similar concept not quite the same but a similar concept yeah i really want to talk about the themes from the movie that we that we've identified i also want to just very briefly mention that this is another movie we're not really going to mention it uh, so much where it's all about follow your heart you know your heart can't be wrong and all that and the more i think about it the more it seems like that is so common <laughs> a theme from hollywood before I started doing Are You Just Watching With You, I had no concept of it, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, it was there in the back of my mind, but I didn't realize how common it actually is. Mm-hmm. And just once I'd like to see a movie come out where the guy is completely and totally helpless <laughs> <laughs> and has to be picked up and carried by a friend. I guess sort of like the blind side or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a science fiction sp- Not specifically, but much more common in science fiction, which we tend to do a lot more of. Well, the interesting thing about it is it's the humanist worldview that we are dealing with because we work in secular film. Every secular film that we're going to look at 
is going to have that underlying theme because they're all done from a humanistic standpoint. Their entire world is built on a humanistic worldview. And so therefore that follow your heart theme is kind of foundational to a humanistic worldview. And so that's what you're going to always be able to boil anything they do down. Just like if you look at anything Christian and you boil it down, it's always going to be God is in control. Mm -hmm. So it's... Yeah, it's really uh, pervasive how they push that worldview through every single movie they do. It's I keep going back to Interstellar as as the flagship of humanist uh, worldview movies for me. But it, you really have to be vigilant to to look at that worldview delivery so subtle as it is in so many movies, particularly mm-hmm. this one, and realize that that is exactly the opposite of what we are called to do. And it it's just, it's been bugging me about the Adjustment Bureau specifically because it, it I enjoyed the movie, but the pervasiveness of the theme of uh, follow your heart regardless of who is against you is really starting to wear on me, you know? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's the job of this podcast. So we'll probably continue yes, to see yes, it. Yes, it is. And we're <laughs> going to keep doing it. <laughs> The whole underlying idea of this particular movie is the idea that there is this supernatural team of people that are keeping uh, humanity on a specific plan. You know, everybody walking in step Mm -hmm. on a specific futuristic plan that they, a, a destiny that they all have to do. And the reason why, Tim, you are suggesting that this ends up with a follow your heart plan is that the very end of this movie, we're going to jump all the way to the end, is that the chairman <laughs> wants us to learn how to write our own plans. And in the past, they've tried to let us do it, and we keep flubbing it up, you know. But now the whole idea is is we have this one character who is strong and stubborn enough to change his destiny and write his own plan, and the chairman lets him do it and yeah. ac- accommodates his, his desire to follow his heart and... The the lesson that you take away is that that hopefully someday humanity will learn to do that for themselves and they won't have to have the chairman write the plan for them, which is boils down to the follow your own heart and it will not lead you astray, which is it's kind of weird that they keep trying that because it doesn't ever work. Yeah, it is. It's. I thought it was interesting how they made it a point with the the big speech by the the head agent and the um, the caseworker agent, whatever you want to call them, in the movie about how mankind has completely messed up the plan in the past. Every time the chairman, the movie's code word for God. <laughs> Every time the chairman let mankind have true free will, they completely flubbed it up. You know, dark ages were humanity's fault, and World War One, World War Two, and and all that were a result of the chairman stepping back and and letting humanity have free will. But the entire point of the movie is that humanity should have free will anyway. Yeah, yeah, or that we've maybe matured enough to be able to take over making our at least some changes to the plan. Yeah. The, you know, the interesting thing about it is 
one of the the quotes in here was that you don't have free will, David. You have the appearance of free will. Humanity isn't mature enough to handle the important things. So there's a lot of like a underlying current of maturity. In fact, they had this uh, discussion later on, you know, with with the whole thing with David running for office is that he was one of the youngest mm-hmm. candidates which is probably not the truth anymore because we've really had some fairly young people running for office in yeah in the most more recent years but you know the question of his maturity comes up but yet somehow he's mature enough to be able to change his destiny so that he can fall in love with a woman but at the same time it's like this this whole idea that the plan is exists on a level for the important things but not for the minor things because they they made the point of saying you know that you choose your own toothpaste and and it's only the big things that you know the plan has anything to do with so i don't know yeah the adjustment bureau is it they are dedicated to getting everything right for the big things right the national national level stuff getting david into the presidency in 11 years or whatever it was so that the world would move smoothly and maybe World War Three wouldn't come. And I did like how in the movie they were able to connect the dots between David ending up with Elise and it ruining his chance to be president and the impact that him not being president might have. Uh, I liked how they did that from a planning standpoint. Right. Well, it's interesting in that instance because what they were pointing out from a character standpoint was that he was one of those people that had a need to be out in front of people, that it felt like it it filled an emotional hole in his life to be able to be seen by people and to interact with crowds. And, and that was building his you know life as a politician because it was fulfilling that need. But if he met the woman of his dreams and fell in love with her that she would fulfill that need in him. And so he wouldn't need politics as much. So it would take away his drive and motivation to be a politician and eventually be president. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting way of building his character. So they couldn't have him departing from the the plan. Mm -hmm. And that whole plan thing was really a a major part of the concept of the movie. Yeah. And the thing that bugged me, about the way they had it set up was that the chairman, it he doesn't feel omniscient. Even though they make a whole point of, of him being in control of the plan, he's got these agents running around trying to adjust people to make them stay on the plan. And then he doesn't seem to be aware when his one of his agents goes rogue and actually helps yeah. David, you know, avoid the plan. And it just it made me feel like it's like, how do you have somebody who's writing the plan for humanity who's so out of control of it? <laughs> you know, it's like from a standpoint of predestination, and I don't want to get too embroiled in, you know, the spiritual debate because I know that that's a major serious divide in, in, in Christendom, but you cannot have predestination without a completely omniscient God because. Right. If he's creating this plan that everybody has to follow, he has to be all-knowing and he has to be all-powerful. There's no other way to do it. And I felt like that's a a serious critique of the way they set it up in this movie is that they're implying predestination that man does not have free will, but yet they have not created a God that is powerful enough to 
make that predestination work. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it does. Um, I think I, I went slightly a different direction when I was watching the movie. Uh, the first, the first uh, pass, uh, you know, before I started taking notes, I felt like the chairman was holding back from the agents. But I think I was just projecting my own sense of God on the chairman at that point. Uh, I felt like the chairman was was like, yeah, he knew David was going to be fighting the plan, and he intended for the agents to uh, botch it. <laughs> yeah, to you know, try and prevent David all the way up until the very end where Harry is talking to David and Elise and, and saying, well, maybe this is the right time. But uh, the second time I watched it, uh, I I felt like that sense of an impotence, I might have just been projecting it instead of it actually having any source or any support in the movie itself. Mm -hmm. I think back to angelic appearances in the Bible. And uh, like the visitors to uh, to Abraham and uh, the whole negotiation for Sodom and Gomorrah, mm -hmm. we know that angels are not omniscient. They don't have uh, access to uh, God's complete knowledge, but they do have access to God because they have to be holy as well. Mm -hmm. So I was feeling like the chairman to agent relationship was the same as god to angels but it 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 isn't and it's even less so in the source material so i don't think they could have done it that way in the movie yeah and the the fact that you have agents that are almost like vying with each other for promotions or for the best jobs yeah. or i i really got the feeling that there was a real bro i mean the bureau calling it a bureau really fit because it really felt like a bureaucracy. And yeah. there was this level of contention between the, the various agents and, you know, they bring in Thompson who's like closes all the cases, you know, he's the one that everybody trusts and, and they didn't feel like angels to me and the chairman didn't feel like mm -hmm. God. And it just felt like it was, if a humanistic atheistic worldview were, we're going to put a, you know, man in the sky, God complex together. This is the way they would form it. It just didn't yeah. feel like they had any kind of real religious uh, source that they were basing yeah. this on. It was just a complete made up, you know, if we were, as humanists were going to believe in predestination, this is how we would build it. And so they had to build in weaknesses. Yeah. The whole thing with, with the water. The agents could act with more autonomy. They couldn't be viewed as easily if they were surrounded by water. Um, and then there was the thing with the hat. Mm -hmm. It's They couldn't use the door network, which allowed them to go from place to place just by turning the doorknob a certain way. They couldn't use that if they weren't wearing their hat. So you almost came away feeling like the agents were just... Um, regular people who were in a particularly knowledgeable position. Yeah, like they had, you know, you, some people believe that when we die, we become angels. You know, that, that kind of mythology that's built around, uh, you know, the hierarchy. I almost feel like it's a little bit like that, where there are people that have been promoted to a special job, and then they've given the tools to do the job. 
you do get the feeling that Harry is kind of old so that they're maybe ageless, but it's not specifically, you know, mentioned to a degree. Yeah. I mean, if you're coming at it from a Christian worldview, there were so many things that were wrong with it that I think it, the concept of free will versus predestination is definitely written into the story, but you can't almost deal with it from a Christian worldview because it is so far off of the biblical right. setup that it just doesn't work as a, you know, where you, you can start actually getting into the debate versus, you know, of predestination versus free will. Well, the movie said this. It's like that debate just doesn't work because the setup in the movie is so far off that it. it yeah, the, the foundation the, of their yeah. of their entire presentation is just cracked beyond <laughs> uh, beyond measure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But from a Christian worldview, we can say a few things scripturally at, to stand up against this movie without even getting into a predestination versus free will debate. Yeah. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And this was actually written to the Israelite people. It's always important to put verses in their context. And this is actually in the in Jeremiah, mm -hmm. it's, you know, the Israelites were facing a lot of judgment during the, the major prophets and they were going into captivity and they were being forced into uh, a lot of war and bloodshed. And, and Jeremiah is mm -hmm. reassuring them, you know, God has great plans for you. It's just that because you have fallen so far away from him, you know, he's got to punish you. And so yeah. it's kind of that, <laughs> that reminder that this is, this was not the plan that he wanted for you, but, you know that you know this is how it, it works out that god is benevolent he his he doesn't want to punish us that he has plans for welfare and and a future and a hope yeah. and that that's always his ultimate goal, goal is not um to destroy us but to bring us to a better fellowship with him yeah and you know his plans are I can't even really put it into words how much more complex they are than we can possibly fathom. Yeah. Um, he, he is just the meaning of omniscience is uh, beyond our ken. Yeah. Because we can't even wrap our mind, minds around how much knowledge that is. It's, it's so yeah. far beyond us that... I think that's one of the reasons that I try to avoid debates on free will versus predestination, because I feel like mm. God is just so far beyond our understanding that in order to ch even to write out what we believe about what he, the way he views time and free will and all of that stuff is it's, it's trying to put a human understanding on the way God thinks. And we simply are incapable in our finite understanding of even wrapping our heads around how that even looks to God. And so yeah. I, that's why I don't like to even debate the issue because it's like, <laughs> I can't think like God and I can see both camps in scripture, but I don't, I can see that they're both in some ways could be right. If we just understood how God thought about it and we are the way God sees it. And we can't because we are so finite. We can't, we simply can't wrap our heads around the way he mm -hmm. sees time and, and thought and free will and predestination. It's just all outside of our kin. I am content knowing that God is so great that 
verses like Ephesians 2.10 are 100% accurate. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that means that before the foundations of the earth, God not only knew us, but he knew that he had set it up for us to be able to interact with every other person in our lives in exactly the way he intended. Now, I don't mean to imply that that there's no free will, because I don't think that's what that means. God is greater than the idea of free will. He is greater than the idea of predestination. I think that's one of the reasons why I I have a problem with the chairman in this movie. And just to to slightly Mm -hmm. bring it back to the Adjustment Bureau is that he's reactionary. It's like when things happen and and maybe it's just the agents that are reactionary, but you get the feeling at the end of the movie that he actually was encouraged by what David was doing to rewrite David's plan so that he could have Elise. Yeah. And so that is a reactionary that that isn't just him you know, I, well, I was intending all along to change the plan for him to have Elise. And you actually got the feeling that the plan had already changed like three times because they had made the comment <laughs> that originally David... It had El- definitely changed at least once. Well, yeah. David and Elise had been originally supposed to be together for like mm-hmm. a couple decades before they weren't supposed to be together. So the plan is obviously always adapting and changing. And there's not this feeling that there's any real path that they're going down. It's just you know, this, it just keeps changing based on circumstances. So the chairman is very reactionary, but there's nothing in scripture that puts God in a position where he would be reactionary, which I think is the main concept that I've always heard against mankind having free will is that would make God reactionary because he would have to keep adjusting his plans based on the choices that we make. But I have a problem with that position because I don't think that mankind's free will makes God reactionary. I think man can have free will and God can still be God because God is outside time. He's not constrained by our linear way of thinking. He's completely outside time. So it's not so much that he planned it before Mm -hmm. it happened and lets it run out. It's that it hasn't happened. It is happening and it's already happened all at the same time. Yeah. And we can't wrap our minds around that because we're on a linear. And I think we talked about this when we were doing our review on interstellar. Yeah. That there is this whole concept of time. It's one of the dimensions that we are stuck in. So we can't see outside of it and it's impossible for us to view the world outside of the dimension of time. But God is completely outside of the dimension. He created time. So trying to figure out how free will and predestination works when we are stuck inside of something that God is outside of. I just don't think we can wrap our minds around it. I don't think it, it can make sense to us. And so this yeah. verse in Ephesians yeah. that you point to, you know, where he's prepared it beforehand, it's phrased so that we can understand it because we're in a linear timeline, but God is exactly. outside of it, that t- linear timeline. So it doesn't necessarily mean to him what it means to us from the constraints of our yeah. viewpoint. The plane that we're living on. It's all a matter of our perception. Mm -hmm. We have to perceive it within our reality, and he is not. Right. Yeah. Boy, that's really hard to talk about. (laughs) It's like stressing muscles in your brain. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in the the movie, there's a number of places where they actually mention stuff that happens specifically outside the plan. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And the the big one was that they had arranged everything for David to never see Elise again. And when I say never see, I mean never actually lay eyes on her, not never date her again. Yeah. And by chance, and I'm using air quotes there, yeah. <laughs> by chance, he happens to see her on the bus window. But it's not actually chance because he has been riding the same bus that he last saw her on mm -hmm. every day for three years. Trying to catch her. Just trying to catch a glance of her. Yeah. So, I mean, that that entire idea there that, that it was Chance is, number one, ridiculous because they clearly have been watching her. Harry, his caseworker, <laughs> has been on the family since before David was born. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that Harry has... Uh, been on as a matter of fact they even talk about it harry has been on this one family for much longer than is normal and they made a comment about how uh, tired a, he looked at the beginning of the movie yeah it, he says you need a vacation and, and uh harry responds i'm not sure the kind of tired i am can be fixed by a vacation yeah the movie the story actually takes this chance as being something that can mess up the plan which makes sense from a storytelling standpoint because otherwise there's no basis for the plan and the agents and the chairman and all that. Mm -hmm. When you dive into it, it doesn't make sense in the concept that they're laying out in the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is, is that we live in a culture that believes in chance and random and coincidences and all this kind of stuff. It, it It's so much a part of our culture now that it's part of our language. I mean, when something mm -hmm. good happens to you, you don't praise God for it. You just say you're lucky. And Christians do it all the time because we have to consciously remember that God is in control. So anything that good happens to us, that we give him the glory for it because it isn't chance. It's not coincidence. God orchestrated it. But it's so hard for us because our society is so based around the idea that chance happens, you know, that things are completely random, that it's permeated the church and the Christian family. And that's just the way it is. That's the way we think. I caught myself saying something like that the other night. I was talking to people about something that had happened to me and I made the comment. I was like, I was just lucky. And as soon as it passed my lips, as soon as that yeah. word passed my lips, I was like, no, I wasn't lucky. God looks out for idiots. You know? <laughs> and it's just one of those situations where I catch myself doing it. And the most Christians don't even think about it. We just, it's just so much a part of our language now that it just pops out of our minds. You know, a, a yeah. car nearly hits us on the interstate and we manage to squeeze by and not get hit. We make some comment about luck or chance and, and it's not, it's always God. Yeah. But in the instance of this movie, they set it up as that there is chance, there is luck. And, you know, it's like uh, when Harry is setting up Norris to use his hat to jump through the doors. He, he says, you know, they're going to see you as soon as you hit the road. But then when they actually institute this, you know, plan to stop the plan, mm -hmm. he says, you're lucky it started raining again because the rain will prevent them from seeing you. And it's like, well, was that luck or was the chairman helping? Yeah. Is the rain so completely random or is the chairman really God and he's in control of these things? I mean, it's like they present this random chance thing going on, but... 
as Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. God's in control of mm-hmm. all of that. I mean, I love the movie. Don't get me wrong. It's It, it was a great, yeah. it's a great yeah. high concept movie. It makes you think. I love movies that make you think. But it definitely falls way short of really getting into the nitty gritty of, of how Christians feel about God and predestination and free will. I mean, it, it definitely introduces the concepts, but it falls way short. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the whole presenting, you know, God as a bureaucracy, a chairman over a board of, you know, underlings who are vying for positions and promotions <laughs> and, and all of that. That is... Ladder climbers. Yeah. To me, that just kind of was the nail in the coffin for a humanistic view of God because in scripture we see God as king and we see ourselves, our relationship to God is slaves. So there's no, mm-hmm. no getting around the fact that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that when, you know, like James says in the book of James, he, that it's translated various ways. It's usually translated either servant or bond servant that James is servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ it actually the Greek mm-hmm. word, if you go back to the original Greek, it means slave. So yeah. the followers of Christ knew their position before a great king who sits on his throne and there will be a throne of judgment someday, which we stand before. And so the scripture sets up that relationship as God is king. He's not some chairman over a bureaucracy. <laughs> he's king and his word is yeah. law. And he's not just suggesting a plan that we follow. He's dictating all of history because he created it. From the very beginning, God wanted us as his people to keep him in the king position. Mm -hmm. And it was only when the people came to Joseph and said, we want a king, darn it. (laughs) Like all the other nations. uh, It's always that. Yeah. Exactly like the guys down the street. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That uh, the Israel started to to have a king. Even if you go back to Exodus, this scripture is a little bit long, but it goes to how bureaucracy was first acknowledged by God as a necessity because of the human condition. Mm -hmm. We don't need bureaucracy in a non-fallen state, but because of our fallen state, it helps us feel better about it. So let me read real quick Exodus 18, 17 through 23. Just to set it up, Moses has been taking it upon himself to act as arbitrator for everyone that has been taken out of Egypt. Right. Mm-hmm. So it starts with Moses's father-in-law. What you're doing is not good. Moses's father-in-law said to him, you certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now, listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and the law and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring to you every major case, but judge every minor case for themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also, these people will be able to 
go home satisfied. So God, through Jethro, is establishing what is the first bureaucracy, the very foundation of it. And this is the foundation that goes not only into the construction of the priesthood later on, but how the legal system is set up, because they are the same source, Mm -hmm. the laws of God. So bureaucracy in and of itself is not bad, but it's our fallen state that makes it bad. Well, it's a human thing. It's not a God thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's sin bleeding into it, just like everything else and corrupting it. Yeah. I don't think that the way God manages heaven is a bureaucracy like the way they show (laughs) this movie. (laughs) Oh, I hope not. (laughs) Oh, that would be bad. That would be bad. But, uh, you know, when you get to the the worst part, you get to the view of a a cynical old man in Ecclesiastes 5.8. You see uh, where he says, if you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished by the situation because one official protects another and the higher officials protect them. We're running a lot into that with our our republic right now. (laughs) Yeah. That is the the bureaucracy established by God as a way to keep ourselves organized and protected. And then you have Ecclesiastes where it shows exactly how sin has perverted and corrupted yet another thing that God gave us to help us manage. Yeah, and, you know, the, we can know, I mean, you said you hope not that, that God governs as a bureaucracy, oh, yeah. but I don't think, I think it's... We know We know, we not, know yeah. not because we have direct access to God, because the whole point of a bureaucracy is to put lots of middlemen between you and the one in charge. And maybe the Catholic Church is kind of getting a little bit towards a bureaucracy because, you know, you, you talk to your priest and the Pope represents you and the Pope mm-hmm. speaks to Jesus and Mary and you've got all of these intercessories before you ever get to God. But the whole concept of what Jesus did on the cross was to open the lines of communication between us and God so that we can individually approach the throne of God in prayer and talk directly to God through in Jesus's name. And that communication is open so that we don't have to trust a bureaucracy to get us to God. We have direct access. Yeah. So, yeah, he is our Lord. He is our king. And we have direct access through him, through Jesus Christ. And that is the blessed thing about being saved is that we have that our sinful condition has separated us from God, but because of Jesus, the price Jesus paid for us and his victory over sin and death, we have direct access to God again. And that is the mm-hmm. massive blessing of being a Christian. So uh, I mentioned at the start of the podcast that I'm getting a little tired of the whole follow your heart theme as it Hollywood keeps pushing it on us left and right. And another one that they, uh, it, and it's sort of like the opposite side of the same coin, is, and it's really big in the Adjustment Bureau, is the idea that love conquers all. Following your heart towards love and, and achieving that love, despite all the odds, that will make everything better. <laughs> <sighs> and we wonder why so many marriages fall apart. Oh. Because... We put love and we put this feeling of love on this pedestal. And then when you get married and the feelings fade and you're in it for the long haul mm-hmm. and you're, you, did I ever really love this person? Well, if I married them because I love them, then maybe I'm not supposed to have married this person because I don't love them anymore. Yeah. The whole concept of a soulmate. Yeah. 
which is, you know, one step further. But as a Christian married man, this is one of the things that really irritates me for everything coming out of the Hollywood machine, mm-hmm. because Hollywood is so many different places now. The idea that the feeling of love is what relationships are based on. And that is absolute. Not only is that not true, the entire idea is not only contrary to God, mm-hmm. but it is demonstrably harmful to society as a whole. Yet we continue to push it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, the, the people who, uh, like you mentioned, the people who fall out of love and, and get a divorce um, because they they don't love each other anymore. And actually, in preparation for this recording, I, I went looking up the phrase irreconcilable differences <laughs> because it, it's always one of those reasons for divorce that I, I've always looked at and went, oh, for Pete's sake. But I was actually a little surprised to find out in the state I live in, Virginia, that's not a viable uh, reason for divorce. <laughs> you cannot get divorced in... Virginia for irreconcilable differences. You actually have a re- have to have a reason in Virginia to get divorced, a reason like adultery or something like that. I was a little surprised to find that. Uh, it just means they'll go to another state if they really want to separate. Exactly. They might. Yeah. They may and not have. It, they may have like no fault divorce though, which is different than irreconcilable differences. You know what? I didn't even think to look that one up. Yeah. Now I'm going to get depressed again. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I thought Virginia actually had something going for it. <laughs> Darn it. I specifically wanted to talk about this topic because of the whole soulmate uh, idea that is pushed through this movie. I mean, I don't know. They were meant to be together, but then they weren't meant to be together. But then they were meant to be together, but then they thought they were meant to yeah. be together, but they really <laughs> weren't meant to be together. So I don't know that you could really say they were soulmates. <laughs> the agents can't let them be together. Yeah. <laughs> Men and women. Uh, they meet, they fall in love. There is the entire courtship thing is set up so that this sounds bad, but you can get practice with putting up with another person <laughs> in a romantic way. In the case of my wife and I, it was so she could get practice in putting up with me mm-hmm. because uh, there's really nothing to put up with for her. <laughs> She's perfect or as close to perfect on this earth as you can get. But it, it's work. Marriage is work. Each member of a marriage has to be willing to give 150%. When a marriage works, it's not 100% given. It's 300%. Yeah. And, it's not um, selfish. It's selfless. <laughs> exactly. The idea that you you just you fall out of love and you, you get a divorce because you're no longer in love, that is insulting to me. Mm-hmm. It is not what God intended. Mark 10, 9 what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Mm-hmm. We are not intended to get divorced. There, there is a very, very narrow area where divorce is considered okay in the Bible. And that is even put forward as, and God allows it because he knows the, the weakness of man. Exactly. It's not something he really wants done. It's just something that he allowed. Divorce is served to us in the same way that bureaucracy is. <laughs> Not because God needs it, but we need it because of our fallen state, because Mm -hmm. of our sinful state. Our happiness in our marriage 
is by bringing God in as the third person. Mm -hmm. Psalm 16.10 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you don't acknowledge God, if you don't honor those vows, then you're not going to get the happiness that you are intended to have in marriage. And this idea that that feeds into the one or that you have to have this passionate love is just so hurtful to society. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I'm going to put a link to this in our show notes because I, a long time ago, I stumbled upon Vody Bachman's series on love and marriage and YouTube, and it's still there. It's it's mm-hmm. a conference he did. Uh, it's actually a youth conference he did, a three-day conference, and it's a three-part series on love and marriage. And in the first one, he's talking in general about love and marriage, and then he talks specifically to the girls, and then he talks to the boys. And it's a really, really good good one for even people like me who are not married because it gives us you know the setup of what you should be looking for before you get married and he has this way of saying the one he's like we were all set up to to <laughs> look you know the our it's the greco-roman myth of you know love and he says and we're all looking for the one the one the one the one he doesn't like this big echoing thing and uh but it's really 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 <laughs> good because he he deals with that what you're talking about about how destructive the greco-roman myth of the one true love and falling in love and the whole being shot by Cupid and suddenly just, you know, love at first sight and all of these things that we have embraced as a culture as to, and I mean, to be honest, that's where this whole sexual revolution is coming from because the whole idea of, I love this person, even though they're of the same gender as I am, or they're, you know, all of these things that I fall in love with. And I, I have this, you know, this feeling that tells me that I love this person. So therefore I'm, God wouldn't want me to be, you know, mm-hmm. unhappy. So I must, he oh. must want me to be with this person. And that all comes. God wants me to be with them. Yes. And so that whole concept is coming from this whole Greco-Roman idea of, you know, that you just look at yeah. somebody and you know that you love them. And it's a myth. It's not biblical. There's nothing in scripture that says that you're supposed to fall in love with somebody and then be with that person the rest of your life. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot in scripture about marriage and about, because when we wrap our heads up with this Greco-Roman myth of love of, you know, Eros, we lose the idea of what scripture uses marriage as a picture of. It's actually a metaphor for Christ's relationship with the church. And yeah, we lose that metaphor when we wrap ourselves up in this, you know, eros, this passionate love and sex and all of that stuff. And I can't speak to the actual relationship because I'm not married, but it's something that I guess my ideals are set so high. I've never been able to actually make the commitment. Yeah. It's, well, you mentioned that the whole concept of marriage it points specifically to the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did uh, community group studies a, a while back, uh, shared with one of our church elders uh, on Proverbs, mm-hmm. where we went through and we divided Proverbs down into some major topics. And I had taken a six-week study on relationships, and you know, I broke it down into relationships between um, – parent and child and boss and employee 
ruler and, and subject and all that. And uh, I also broke down the relationship between husband and wife, both in dating and in marriage. And I pointed out in there that uh, one of the things that always confused me as I was going into preparing these lessons was the command to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply mm -hmm. in Genesis. And Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm -hmm. That was always a conflict that I had uh, wondered about as I was growing up. It really does come down to the idea of that metaphor, that we can only truly understand God's relationship with the church, Christ's relationship with uh, us as Christians by experiencing it. And, you know, shortly before my grandfather died, he and I were uh, sitting at, at his uh, kitchen table, and uh, it was after my grandmother had died, and and he asked me if I thought that the marriage of the fleshly body would be honored in, in heaven. And I, I told him at the time, this was uh, 20 years ago at least, uh, I told him at the time that, yeah, I, I thought it would, and, and I pointed to the, the verse of uh, Mark 10. Uh, but I have come to actually change my mind about it, where marriage is a pale reflection of our relationship with God. And when we get to heaven, I'm I'm now leaning towards the idea that we will be so fulfilled by our relationship in God and in our brothers and sisters that we will be at the same level of filial love with everyone with us that it will not be important to us. And I think that falls into the category of beyond our current understanding. I don't understand how that can be the case, but I am confident that God's power can make it so. Well, I think if you look at the examples of marriages that we have in scripture, not just the the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church, but like the, the book of mm -hmm. Hosea, where we, we see that, you know, Hosea is ordered to marry a prostitute and go through this, this yep. horrible situation where she keeps leaving him. And that, that was a metaphor for God's relationship with Israel because they were, they were the original bride that kept turning their back on their groom and, and running away. And there's that troubled, you know, marriage there. And, and we also see, you know, like Solomon was drawn away from the Lord by his many wives because he, mm. he had allowed himself to be, you know, pulled into this whole concept of marriage as an outlet for physical needs. And yeah, like his father, like his father. Yeah. And so we end up with, you know, all of the entirety of scripture showing us what marriage is supposed to be and what happens when it isn't what it's supposed to be. So it's, you get the full picture that way. And I, yeah. I, somebody was, I think it was Ben Shapiro. I was listening to him talk on marriage recently. And of course he's, he's an Orthodox Jew. So I don't agree with his interpretation of scripture almost least half the time, mm -hmm. but he made a comment about the fact that marriage was the best thing to ever happen to women. Because if you look at the history of women is that we are at our most oppressed when we are merely sex objects, but marriage gives us ownership of a man. So it gives us stability, it gives us provision and protection, and it keeps us from being used. 
And, you know, when you put it in that standpoint, it's like we fight so hard against the traditional marriage in our society today, but that is the protection of women. That is what prevents us from being, you know, just merely sex objects that can be used and discarded at will by a numerous amount of men. And it's built into the man from his sinful nature to want to jump around and and do all kinds of, you know, seed his, sow his seed wherever. It takes Mm -hmm. work to stay in a relationship with one person. And I think the fact that we're seeing so many marriages fall apart today is because we have lost the meaning of marriage, what marriage was ordained to be scripturally and why it protects the relationship between man and woman and between us as people and God. And so I think that was a good thing uh, to discuss, even though this movie has absolutely nothing to do with marriage. It does show this whole concept (laughs) of, you know, this is the woman that I am meant to be with. I have fallen in love with her and I'm willing to rewrite my entire destiny in order to be with her. Mm -hmm. Come what may. What happens 10 years down the road when they've gotten over the shine of, you know, this being in love with each other and, you know, the day to day becomes work. And what happens? I mean, I've seen yeah. so many, even in the Christian church, whose marriages are falling apart because they fall out of love with each other. And this got to get over this concept that love is a feeling. And that is what holds marriages together because it isn't the glue that holds marriages together. God is. Yeah. What happens when she's no longer the sensual dance group <laughs> and she's a 55-year-old 50, uh, Washed up. Teacher. Has been, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was one other topic that I specifically wanted to talk about, and and, uh, we have discussed it uh, before, so not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I wanted to bring it up because I had recently done a Sunday school on it at our church. We usually have fewer summer sessions because, you know, the attendance drops off a, a little bit during the summer as people go on vacation and everything. So the adult summer session has been favorite scriptures where the organizer, Andy, has gone to about 14 or 15 of the men in the church who may or may not be very well known and asked us to do a Sunday school presentation on a favorite piece of scripture. And I did mine back on the 21st, uh, and I chose Romans eight twenty-eight and 29 as my verse. It's I've talked on the podcast before how I've had some some very very bad things happen in my life. I, I've mentioned that uh, my wife and I lost our son uh, when he was six months old back in the mid-90s. And uh, I think I've mentioned that my father died just, mm-hmm. just in January. back in January of mm-hmm. this year. I used this verse to talk about uh, those two events. And so Romans eight twenty eight and 29, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That verse, I emphasized in my Sunday school class how that verse has carried me through the death of my son, who died too young to make a conscious decision to follow God, and the death of my father, who died a non-Christian, who died refusing to believe, to accept salvation. Those two verses have helped me understand the whole idea of why do bad things happen to good people? And 
for me, it's always come back to, you know, Romans 8, 28, uh, thing, everything working together uh, for the good of those who love God. But we also have to be reminded that uh, God's very existence, God's ways are beyond us. And we are, we're pulled back to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For this is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Faith in action is trusting that when the bad stuff happens to us, uh, it is happening because God has a plan. So let me tie it back to the Adjustment Bureau. A plan that's not like the chairman's plan. <laughs> yeah, not, not like the chairman's plan. In the Adjustment Bureau, it comes out that um, David Norris's father, brother, and mother. mother have all died prematurely. None of them have died of, of old age. Uh, it doesn't say how, uh, except his brother overdosed. But what it does reveal through the course of the story is that David's father and brother both died as a result at the intention of the agents mm -hmm. uh, of the plan, that they died to further the plan. So in that way, it sort of reflects, but then it ruins it by saying, no, his mother died. It was just chance. Yeah. It was just. You know, they had no control. Uh, they didn't do that. They weren't responsible for her death. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, that poisoned the well of David's father and brother dying to further the plan. And it really made it seem malicious to me. It kind of felt a little bit like, I don't know whether you saw the, the movie Ender's Game, but in the, I don't yeah. think it came out as much in Ender's Game as it did in the book that it was based on. But there was this whole concept of they were isolating him in order to make him stand mm -hmm. on his own and make his own decisions and not rely on anybody. And I really felt like that was kind of the shadow of, of that philosophy going on in David's yeah. life, in which they were cutting out all of the people that he could depend on to force him to be more of a leader because self-reliant. Self and that, yep. that idea, uh, it goes against, you know, the whole Christian ideal, which is that we can't do it on our own. We need God. And we need guidance and we need wisdom and we need to ask for them. We can't be self-reliant. So the whole idea of, you know, these bad things happening to David in order to force him into a certain plan is counterintuitive to what we would as Christians expect God to do in our lives. But yeah. I, I do have a little bit, the way you phrase that, that bad things happen to good people. My usual comeback to that <laughs> good people good, that there's no such thing as good people because yeah, i should have seen that yeah, one coming <laughs> well we are as as the scripture says we're all sinners and we all live in a sin cursed world yeah. so a lot of the things that happen that are bad happen as a consequence of either our sin or someone else's sin or just sin in general because we live in a sin cursed world the tsunami that wipes out you know, women and children, it wasn't a sin in their lives that caused them to be in the path of that tsunami. It was because we live in a sin cursed world. The whole creation groans with sin mm -hmm. and choices that were made long before we were ever born. We have to live with the consequences of them. And so the idea that bad things happen to good people is a slight unchristian way of seeing the world because we do not yeah. 
No, you're absolutely we, right. We live in a sin-cursed world where bad things happen, period. And that is sin. And the sin is the underlying cause, the overlying cause, the cause of everything. God is in control. <laughs> and the only thing that prevents us from having only misery is God, because we deserve nothing less. Our, the judgment against us is so great that it's only Christ's blood on the cross that has given us any relief from the misery that we have created for ourselves in our sin-cursed existence. And so bad things happen because we are not good people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that's exactly right. When bad things happen to good people is actually the title of a book mm -hmm. written in the early 80s. But it's written by a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, <laughs> who clearly does not have the New Testament a Christian uh, worldview. meanings yeah. worked into Yeah. Yeah, the Christian worldview worked into it. <laughs> it's, I've never read the book, but the the title has always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of I, I was referencing the title subconsciously and and you you're right. There is no such thing as good people. There is uh, no even, one good but God, it Even says. sinners yeah. who go out of their way to do something good mm -hmm. are doing it for the wrong reasons, and they're just... They're deceiving themselves. Serving their own selfishness. They're deceiving themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, that's one of the reasons why James is my my favorite book in the Bible, because in James uh, 1... 26. If anyone, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Yeah. That is the vast majority of us. We think that we are living religious lives and, and we're deceiving ourselves because we are dirty, rotten sinners. And there is nothing that we can do that makes us good in the eyes of God. It is only through the grace of God that we can be saved. And we wrap mm -hmm. ourselves back into this predestination <laughs> debate because that, that yep. is, we are filthy, rotten sinners. And that's what it comes down to is that we are not good people and we do not deserve good things. But we have a heavenly father who desires that we have good things. I mean, the verse that we mentioned earlier, you know, I know the plans I have for you. These are the things that God desires for us to have, you know, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. We are not left in our filthy, rotten sinfulness. God reached out to us and pulled us out of it. And that is the blessing that we have as Christians. And that should be the good news that we're spreading to everybody because everybody lives a broken existence. They may be putting a happy face out to the world, but they have brokenness inside. Everybody experiences it. There's yeah. nobody out there that doesn't have some measure of brokenness in their life. And we have the answer to that. And that should make us all the more desirable to be sharing the gospel. Well, we've gone super yeah. long on this. I don't know whether anybody has stuck with us all the way to the end. <laughs> I will just say that if you would like to contact us, you can send email to feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 513-818-2959. And you can always come on, on the show notes, which for this episode are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 95. And we are so happy to have been able to share this movie with you. We don't know what we're going to do next month. Maybe you can suggest something. Still up in the yeah. air. You can go to areyoujustwatching.com slash community, uh, which will is a shortcut to our Facebook discussion group. Join the group and make suggestions. We'd love to know what movies those of us who listen to us would like to hear us review. There's no guarantee that we'll cover them. Some of it has to do with availability, <laughs> whether we can get our hands on the movie, mm -hmm. how old it is, and that kind of thing. But uh, we would love to have you make suggestions. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast. We are also on 
Google Podcasts, and we were also on Spotify, So, which just went live. They were on beta up until this point, but this week they just went live with their Spotify podcast. So we, you should be able to find us there. So really anywhere. You can find us wherever there are podcasts. Mm-hmm. You should be able to find us. So make sure you review us. Uh, let us let people know about us. Share us on, in your social media. Uh, we would appreciate you sharing our, the gift of us to other people. <laughs> that sounds so arrogant. <laughs> and we want to thank our community as well, Christian podcast community. Make sure you check out uh, them and find all of these other great podcasts that share the community with us. Yeah. There, there's some really good ones. I believe that's it. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thank you so much for listening. And don't just watch.